Yeah, Heavenly Father, we do praise you for um, the fact that we can study your word, uh, that Rob has gone to college and, and that's a good thing, but we can study it here this morning together. Um, that is a great thing. And so, Lord, we pray, open our eyes that we might see wondrous things in your law. Uh, we confess that we uh, cannot see the truth of the gospel, nor can we see the reality of your character or the reality of ourselves um, without your Holy Spirit's regenerating work. So uh, please do that in our minds and our hearts, that we might go and live lives that are pleasing to you, lives lived by faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, just a question. Um, who here has done jury duty before? Put a hand up. Don't be ashamed because I'm jealous. I actually would love to do jury duty. And I'm sure that the, um, the reality is really quite boring. Is that right, Dave? Oh, it's actually good. Good. Excellent. I would really love to do Because I've watched enough Law and Order. <laughs> and, um, and I've seen uh, 12 Angry Men. And I just have dreams of being that guy who like, wins the, the jury over. Uh, guilty. No, no, he's innocent. All of that. I would love to do that. Uh, but could you, could you imagine, I don't think I would be that convincing, but could you imagine doing jury duty if you haven't, or remember back if you have? Um, I, I actually think it's probably a nerve-wracking experience. Is that right? It's a bit of a nerve-wracking experience because, right, before you even sit on the jury, you've got to walk through those metal detectors into the courthouse. Um, I once accidentally brought a pair of scissors into the courtroom before. They didn't detect it, and then they did the second time. A bit embarrassing. A bit of a nerve-wracking experience going through the metal detectors and then going up, waiting for the judge to call you in with the 11 other folk and seeing if the, the uh, plaintiff is going to choose you to be part of the jury. And then even once you do get selected, you've then got to make an oath. It sounds like this. This is the oath in New South Wales for jury people, those doing jury duty. Do you swear by Almighty God that you will give a true verdict according to the evidence. If so, please say, so help me God. Now just imagine for a moment that you're up there and you've been asked that question. Will you swear to give a true verdict according to the evidence? And as that question comes to you, you've got Jesus' words ringing in your ears that we've just heard. Do not take an oath at all. What do you do? Just think for yourself. Don't answer out loud. What do you do in that moment? Do you just go along with it? I mean, this is a judge. This is a courtroom. This is a legal trial. This is a place of authority. Oh, hold on. Doesn't God have all authority? Isn't Jesus really in charge? Isn't he the true judge? So do you just go along with it? What do you do with Jesus' words here? Today we come to this part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount about oaths. It's kind of, it doesn't get as much airtime, right, as the other things, you know, lust, murder, divorce, these are bigger topics. This is kind of the runt of the litter in some ways. But these are Jesus' words. These are Jesus' words. What do we do with them? He says, do not take an oath at all. Should you take an oath in a courtroom? Should you swear I'm telling the truth when a friend asks you to back up your words? Uh, should you sign a, a statutory declaration? Should you sign a witness statement? What do we do with Jesus' words? Well, we're going to figure that out this morning. To do that, we're going to look at three things in this passage. In verse 33, we'll see a pronouncement. 
In verse 34 to 36, we will see a problem. And in verse 37, we will see a prescription. Pronouncement, problem, prescription. By the end of looking at those three things, we'll know whether or not we should be taking oaths in courtrooms, but we'll also get actually to the heart of a much deeper matter. So let's dive in. If you've got your Bible, please open up to Matthew chapter 5. If not, just look on with someone else. We're going to start with this pronouncement in verse 33. Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, what does he mean? In times of the Old Testament, people would sometimes swear an oath to back up their words or to back up a promise that they've made. And usually this would be an oath that's kind of like sworn in the name of God. So it's like saying, if you don't believe me, I swear in the name of the very creator of the heavens and the earth that this is true. So how can you question me now? Right? So it might be something like, um, oh, uh, you're in business partnership with someone and you don't have the money to pay them what you owe. You know, they're your creditor. And so uh, you say, look, I promise I'll get you the money within one month. And they say, well, you know, how can I believe you? What collateral can you give me to back up your words? You say, well, I swear in the name of Yahweh, the name of God, that I will pay you back this money. And they go, okay, all right, I see that you're very serious. So this is how oaths worked in the Old Testament. And Jesus points us to that pronouncement, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. If you make an oath to someone in God's name and you live in Old Testament times, you must make sure that you fulfill it. Don't swear falsely. You're calling the name of the God of truth into this. Make sure that you back up your words. And you might summarise the teaching of the Old Testament on oaths as follows. If you take an oath, you must be careful. And it must be in the Creator's name. You must be careful. And it must be in the Creator's name. Firstly, you must be careful. Leviticus 19 verse 12. I'll read this out. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. It's kind of a threat in some ways, isn't it? It's a warning. You know, if you're going to invoke my name when you make a promise to someone, do not do so carelessly. Do not do so with the intention that you will go and break your word later. Because I am the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one that you're calling to in in all of this. You're bringing me into this? You'd better be honest. The Israelites had to be careful. In fact, there are other passages in the Old Testament that talk about various punishments that people would receive if they were caught giving a false oath. So the Israelites had to be careful. And secondly, when they took oaths, They had to do so in the Creator's name. Not in the name of a false god, but in the name of the Creator of the heaven and the earth, God. Uh, Deuteronomy 10 verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. And by His name you shall swear. So people were allowed to take oaths in the Old Testament, as long as they were careful, as long as it was in the Creator's name. 
Because uh, as Moses says these words, Deuteronomy 10 verse 20 to the Israelites, where are they at this point in history? They're about to enter the promised land. Who's in the promised land? The Canaanites, other tribes, people who worship various other gods, false gods. And so Moses says to them, hey, if you're going to take oaths as God's people, as you enter this land, don't do it by the gods of the Canaanites. Don't do it by the gods of these other tribes. Do it only by the name of your God, the true God, not by these false gods. So this is the pronouncement of the Old Testament, right? If you're going to take an oath, don't swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you have vowed. And you must be careful, therefore, and it must be in the Creator's name. That's the Old Testament pronouncement that Jesus points us back to. And then that brings us to a problem. Verse 34, see if you can see the problem here. But I say to you, says Jesus, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Now just come to the start there. Uh, Jesus could have just said, do not take an oath at all. He could have left it at that. That would have been the end of the sentence. Why does he include all of this extra detail about swearing by Jerusalem and swearing by heaven and and earth and all of this? Why is that there? Because actually there's a problem with the way that people handled oaths. And it's kind of a problem to do with carefulness and a problem to do with making oaths in the Creator's name. Both of them actually go together. And it's to do with the Pharisees. So the Pharisees, when they were around, they were religious teachers, kind of the religious leaders in Judaism. Uh, They would sometimes make oaths, but they would sound like this. I swear to you by heaven that I will X, Y, Z. I swear to you by the temple that I will back up my word. And what's the problem there? They're not swearing in the Creator's name. They're swearing by created stuff. You know, sometimes we do this, right? So a mate comes to you and he says, oh, you know, I've just got something to share with you. I need to make sure that you're going to keep this confidential. Can I trust you? And you go, yeah, of course, mate. Yeah, no worries. And he goes, no, 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 I really need to know. And you go, oh, I swear on my... What do you say? What's the saying? I swear on my... Yeah, you got it. My mother's grave, which doesn't work for me. My mum's still around. So people don't believe me when I use that one. But I swear on my mother's grave. So we sometimes do this, right? You just you sort of make this. Maybe that's not a big deal. But just consider the intention of the Pharisees when they choose to swear by created things rather than by the Creator. And can you flick over with me to Matthew chapter 23? We'll see here the intention of the Pharisees when they make an oath by something other than the Creator's name. Matthew 23, verse 16. Here's what Jesus says to the Pharisees. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Do you see what they're doing? You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, well, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. 
But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. It's interesting. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And this is an interesting point. Verse 21, whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. It's interesting what the Pharisees are doing. Maybe you've picked it up. They say, you know, if you swear by this thing, the temple, then you're not bound by your oath. You've still got your options open. You can go back on your word. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, too bad. What are they trying to do? Trying to find a loophole. We would never do that. But the Pharisees do that. They try to find a loophole. Oh, when I said that I'd give you that money back, I swore by the altar. Do you remember? I didn't swear by the gift on the altar. So sorry, you have no claim to that money. (laughs) When I said that I'd help you, well, I swore by heaven, not the God of heaven. So sorry, you're out of luck. This is what they were doing. They're not even thinking about making an oath in God's name. God is off the agenda. They're just focusing on, on selecting the right words that will keep their options open in the future. This is the real problem for them in swearing by created things. They think that they, by so doing, can take the creator out of the equation. But of course, the irony is who created the temple? God. <laughs> who dwells in the temple? God. Who created the altar? Who created heaven? Who created Jerusalem? Who created the earth? All these things that they swear by. It's God. You can't take him out of the equation just by trying to find this loophole with your phrasing. It's just like Jesus says back in Matthew 5. Turn back with me. Matthew 5, we'll read it again, verse 34. Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, because this is what they were doing. What does he say heaven is? For it is the throne of God. You swear by heaven, trying to get God out of the equation. You can't. (laughs) This is God's throne. Or by the earth, it's God's footstool. Or by Jerusalem, it's the city of the great king. He even says there, don't take an oath by your head. For you cannot make one hair white or black, which is true, isn't it? I could say to you, hey, think really hard of a colour and we'll just see if that colour starts coming through, you know, mind over matter into your your hair, right? We can't do that. We can dye our hair. (laughs) Still, that's, that's not so much being in control as much as like trying to reverse the effects of the fact that we're not in control over our hair colour. We don't have control over our own heads. God is the one who, in fact, has created us and chosen our hair color and chosen when we'll go gray and and all of that. You can't even swear by your own head this thing that you might think you have control over. This is the problem of the Pharisees. They tried to avoid the Creator when they made oaths, and as such, they were careless, not careful, when they made their oaths. Interesting that rather than being concerned with truthfulness, they seem to be more concerned with being convincing. How can I convince this other person to believe me, to believe that I'm telling the truth, so that if I like, later on, I can go back on my word? Yeah, I'll keep my options open. And again, this is such a pharisaical way of thinking. It's, it's this loophole. Can I find a way of keeping my options open? And again, we would never do this. 
This is more the domain of, of Pharisees, leadership types, you know, governments. We have an election coming up soon. We're going to be promised the world, and what are we going to get? We'll get table scraps. <laughs> yeah, this is the domain of, of business leaders, yeah, corrupt, lying, going back on their word all the time. We wouldn't do this with good guys. In fact, just the other day, uh, I was working at home and I came down with a serious case of the stress snacks. Have you ever got that? Yeah, the stress snacks. And so I start sort of ferreting around the house looking for something that I can eat. And I see just up in this high cupboard, uh, there's kind of like a row and a half of Black Forest chocolate. I think, oh, here we go. Five pieces. Right, five pieces. Now, um, this is Sky's chocolate, which I shouldn't eat because it's Sky's chocolate. And also because I'm dairy free, I shouldn't be eating it anyway. In fact, I had said to Sky when I bought this chocolate, I said, darling, this is for you. This is your chocolate. <laughs> Which is why I only had one piece, okay? <laughs> so let's see, I grabbed the one, because yeah, there's four pieces in a row and there were five, so I grabbed the one, so you won't even notice, it'll be fine. <laughs> and so then I, I've eaten my one piece and I think, you know what? I'll just have a couple more. So I take half of the row. Now there's two left, I've eaten three. Sky comes home not long after, and she goes, oh. now she doesn't normally do this, just by the way, but she comes home and it's a really, been a really stressful day. She goes, it's just been such a big day. I've got that chocolate up in the cupboard. I'd love a bit of that chocolate. So she goes up, and before she gets to it, I wonder what would you do in this situation, right? <laughs> before she gets to it, <laughs> I say, honey, I'm so sorry. I'm about to confess to her, I've eaten these three pieces of chocolate. I say to her, honey, I've eaten two pieces of chocolate. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Tiny fabrication of the truth. Two verses three. But what's going through my head at the moment? I'll tell you what's going through my head. Two things. Firstly, I'm embarrassed. I've taken not just one, not just two, but three pieces of chocolate from my wife's chocolate. And so what can I do to try and ease this embarrassment? Oh, I could, I could just sugarcoat the truth a little bit. You know? And then it comes to a loophole, second point, self-justification. If I say that I've eaten two pieces, that's very similar to saying I've eaten three, isn't it? <laughs> It's very, no, two is most of the way to three. Do your maths, it's okay. <laughs> Self-justification. Here's the two things that went through my head. Selfishness. I'm embarrassed. I don't want her to find out. So how could I cover it up? That's selfishness. And then number two, self-justification. I, I find some loophole to make myself look a little bit better. Because really, I've gone back on my word here. I said that the chocolate is skies, but I've eaten it myself. It's very similar to actually the way that the Pharisees operated, honestly. And again, just such a small thing. Like, the guilt was eating me up inside, ironically. Right? That's why I confessed, sort of, to Sky when she went for the chocolate. And then about 20 seconds later, I said to her, uh, actually, honey, you know, I forgot. Actually, I ate three pieces. <laughs> small thing. And she's just like, oh, yeah, cool, whatever. Doesn't matter. I'll just have these two pieces. That's fine. I'll buy her more chocolate later. It's okay. But it always feels like a small thing to us, doesn't it? It always feels like a small thing to us. Consider uh, the similarities between myself and the Pharisees here. Number one, selfishness. I was embarrassed. What about for them? They go, uh, how could I possibly get out of my word later if I want to? The Pharisees were obsessed with power. So how could I make sure that I'm not vulnerable as I make this oath? Ah, I will swear not by the God of heaven, but just by heaven. I will swear not by the God of the temple, but just by the temple. Okay? 
That's the loophole. It's the second point, self-justification. I'll make an oath, but it won't be a true oath because I'm not swearing by the name of the creator. I'm swearing instead by a created thing. Now, again, we wouldn't do this, would we? We wouldn't do this. I've just told you a story where I have, but you wouldn't. Surely. Let's say that a mate needs some help over the weekend and so he sends you a text and he goes, oh, look, I just need some help with my garden. I've got like three good hours of work here. I know it's pretty hard, but you know, could you help me? And then you said, yeah, of course, mate. Yeah, I'll be there. What time? Nine o'clock. Great. See you then. And then uh, something happens during the week where, say, just another mate says to you, hey, you want to go to a, for a surf on Saturday? Thinking of going out at nine? What do you reckon? Or another mate says, hey, you want to grab a coffee? You start thinking, sounds more fun. Or let's say there isn't another offer on the table. Let's just say you, you feel a bit tired. Like it's been a big week. Wake up on Saturday, you're like, oh, this bed is awesome. Why can't life just be horizontal all the time? Right, you just think, okay. I'm just going to text my mate and say, I'm flat out, sorry. I'm a bit sick, you know. <laughs> Have you ever heard of STARBO before? STARBO? It's an acronym. It stands for subject to a better offer, right? Actually, some of us do live by the law of STARBO. I've done this before, right? Mate who wants to go for a surf, someone wants to go for a coffee, or just the better offer is bed and a rest. I'm a bit tired. It's been a big week. Here's what goes through our heads, I think, in that moment. Number one, selfishness. Okay, I know I've said to my mate that I'm going to help, but this better thing came up. Or I'm a bit tired. I can't be bothered. I don't think that working out in the garden for a few hours is a really great way to spend my Saturday now that I'm actually here. Selfishness. Number two, trying to find a loophole, self-justification. Oh, everyone knows that a text isn't binding. You know, a text is just a text. And everyone knows that when you say you're going to be somewhere, well, you know, that's subject to a whole lot of things, like traffic, for example. That could make me half an hour late. Or, you know, everyone knows that, that something else sometimes comes up. You know, when you say you're going somewhere on Facebook, that's only ever a maybe. Do you see what I mean? We appeal to the culture around us. Oh, this is just the expectation. When we say we're going to help, it's not binding. No one expects that. It's just self-justification. It's trying to find a loophole. It's the same line of, of thinking as the Pharisees. And see, now we're actually getting to the heart of the matter. The real problem isn't to do with oaths per se or the way that they're phrased. It's actually to do with what's happening in our hearts. A heart that is selfish and a heart that is self-justifying. It's actually as Jesus says, can you turn over with me to Matthew chapter 15, verse 18. This is one of those verses, I think, that when Jesus says it, we all just go, yeah, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. Listen to what he says. Verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of 
the heart, the place of intention and affection and desire and choices, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, all things we've seen in the Sermon on the Mount so far. Theft, and look at this one, false witness, deception, lying. And the list could go on. He says slander, there are other things. Out of the heart come all of these things. When we go back on our word, as the Pharisees did, it actually reflects something in our heart. A selfishness. A self-justifying tendency. Sinfulness at the bottom of it. And I think we as Christians, we actually do this all the time. We might not recognise it. Maybe you will now. Uh, but uh, consider a couple of the biggest lies that Christians tell. What about this one? Oh, brother, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. When? Does it actually happen? Oh, they've just shared a need with us. Oh, oh, sister, yeah, no, absolutely, I'll pray for you. I'll do it tonight. But then we forget. What about this one? Oh, you know, I'd love to catch up with you. Let's find a time. <laughs> when? Does it happen? There's a whole lot of these, right? Uh, maybe we say we'll help someone out, like I said, and we don't turn up. Uh, maybe we say that we won't gossip about something that we've shared. But then just the perfect opportunity comes up. Maybe I gossip through my praying for this person in a prayer group. Who knows? Uh, maybe we exaggerate when we share about something that's happened to us, especially if it's something that's hurt us. Maybe we twist the story a bit so that we don't look quite as bad. We all do these things. And it comes from a heart that is selfish and self-justifying. This is the real problem that Jesus is talking about. So where have we been? We've, we've talked about this Old Testament pronouncement. Do not swear false oaths. They must be carefully made in the Creator's name. That's in the Old Testament. Then Jesus says, well, now I say this to you. I say there's actually a problem in the way that you've been swearing oaths at all. You've been swearing them in a way, Pharisees, that reflects, in fact, a selfish, self-justifying heart. He says the same thing to us. With your words, with the words that you give each other, the promises you make, the things you say you'll do, do we sometimes make those assurances falsely? Do sometimes our words betray a deceptive mind coming from a selfish, self-justifying heart? And if, like me, you agree that, yes, that is the case for me, then now we come to Jesus' prescription. His prescription, just like a doctor prescribes a medicine, Jesus here prescribes two things. The first is in verse 34. Come back to Matthew 5 with me. We've already read this, but we're going to read it again. Matthew, 30, Matthew 5, 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. We'll come back to that in a moment. There's a second prescription. Verse 37. Sorry, verse 38. Oh, it is 37. Uh, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Do you see that there? Let what you say simply be yes or no. These two prescriptions. just want to point out that some people across history have taken that 
that first one, do not take an oath at all, and have sort of said, well, that's the real solution. Here's the problem with that. That's just sort of an external solution to a heart issue. And you can't solve an issue in the heart simply by an external solution, can you? Like, oh, stop taking oaths. I'll avoid taking oaths. Oh, great. No problem. Cool. Like, put up your hand if you don't take oaths all that often. You know, I'll put up my hand. Great. So does that mean we've solved the problem? No. This is a heart issue. And so there have been some well-meaning people across histories. If you want to go back and look these up, uh, the Anabaptists a few hundred years ago. Uh, you've got the Quakers more recently, uh, a quietistic Christian sect. Uh, and then you've got uh, probably more in the modern day, uh, Ar the Amish folk, if you know them in America, the ones who wear kind of the funny hats and have the long beards. Uh, in fact, they um, not only avoid taking oaths in court or giving promises, they won't sign contracts. Very interesting. Uh, they also won't pledge allegiance to the American flag or to America or whatever it is people do. I don't know. Rob's not here, so I can't check. Um, the Amish won't do it. Anabaptist Quakers, they won't do it. But they're missing the point, even if they're well-meaning. It's actually a hard issue. And besides, uh, interestingly, across the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus takes oaths. Did you know this? Jesus sometimes takes oaths. Uh, Matthew 26, 63. If you want to look it up, you can. Um, there's this moment where, where Jesus is standing before the high priest just before he's uh, about to be crucified. He's on trial. And uh, the high priest says to him, uh, I adjure you by the living God. I adjure you by the living God. Actually, the NIV renders it really well. Um, I charge you under oath <laughs> by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. You are under oath. Tell us. Now, what does Jesus do? Does he say, no, I won't take your oath. I decry you and your whole corrupt system. No, he doesn't. He actually says, well, you've said that it's so. Kind of like saying, yes, I'll swear that oath. I don't agree to your connotations. You've said so. But yes. Or actually, Mark's gospel has it a little clearer. He just says, I am. Right? So he's charged under oath. He takes the oath. Interesting. As well, Paul, across the New Testament, uh, sometimes says things like, you know, I swear that this is true because the people that he's writing to don't know him very well. They don't really trust him yet. And so he backs up his words by swearing. He says, in fact, uh, 2 Corinthians 1.23, he says, I call God to witness against me. That's swearing an oath. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. I call God to witness against me. So, so had Paul just like, not really taken Jesus' words seriously? Had Jesus not taken his own words seriously when he was before the high priest? No, it's just that avoiding oaths, as important as that may be, isn't really the solution. The solution is let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Anything more than this comes from evil. The solution is to be so honest with your intentions, your words, your actions, that those who know you, in fact, don't need an oath from you. They know that your yes means yes, that you'll speak the truth and follow through on your word because the way of Jesus' disciples is a way of complete honesty such that, essentially, oaths become obsolete. It's not so much Jesus saying, hey, don't take an oath because oaths are wrong, like saying you shouldn't need to take an oath because you're always honest. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. As if all of our speech is actually under an oath 
all the time. That's what Jesus calls us to. And you may notice that end bit there as well. Anything more than this comes from evil. It's pretty confronting. Consider this, uh, John 8.44. Jesus at one point is speaking to uh, the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And he says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. And listen to what the devil, their father, is like. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Here's a really confronting point. When our yes is not our yes, when our no is not our no, in that moment, we have more in common with Satan than we do with Christ. We are acting as though we are aligned with the father of lies rather than the God of truth. Confronting, but true. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than this, can you see what it says there? comes from evil. It comes from evil. It comes from the evil one. It betrays a heart that is still full of selfishness and self-justifying tendencies. So just to answer our first question, if you're in a courtroom, should you feel free to take an oath? Well, yeah, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's not the point. The point is actually to do with the heart. Rather than asking, should I take an oath in the courtroom? Yes or no. Rather, what should I do with these words I'm speaking right now? Technically, they're under oath. Technically, all my words are under oath before the living God. Which brings us to one final question. How on earth do we put this into practice? <laughs> you know how many words men speak a day? You know how many words women speak a day? Like seriously, we say so many things. And if it comes from the heart, gee, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with this in a world that is constantly redefining the truth? And with a heart that is constantly trying to pull away into selfishness and, and self-justification, how do you do this? Well, it begins actually by understanding who God really is, realizing who God really is. And let me just give you a bit of a thought illustration here. Imagine if God was dishonest. Imagine if God didn't always keep his word. Right, so, so think um, the book of Joshua. God says to Joshua, the leader of the army of the Israelites, hey, um, I want you to take your army filled with thousands and tens of thousands of guys, whittle it down to 300, and now go and take this well-fortified city, Gideon, with just your 300 guys. Like, imagine like, if he's just like, laughing under his breath, like, <clears throat> you know, he believes me. And then God leaves... <laughs> As soon as the, the uh, Israelites are marching, you know the story? They're marching around the city of Gideon seven times. They blow the trumpet and nothing happens. And they get mauled. They get thrashed. And what a horrible picture of God. A God who isn't honest and doesn't keep his word. The New Testament says this, to all who've received him, that's Jesus, to all who've received Jesus and believe in his name, God gave the right to become children of of God. Oh, but hold on. How can we trust that? If God isn't honest, if God doesn't keep his word, how do I know that I'm a child of God? I have no assurance. Or what about something like this? By grace, you have been saved through faith. Ephesians 2. 
By grace, you have been saved through faith. Okay, but what if God changes his mind? What if I'm standing before the judgment seat, right? This final moment where I've held to faith in Christ throughout my life. And now I know that I'm entering into eternal life and God's there and he goes, you know what? Actually, I'm going to judge you by your works. I just feel like it today. We would be doomed. There's no hope in that. The only hope is that God is a God of truth and a God of complete commitment to his word. Think back to Abraham. Genesis 22. Abraham is about to sacrifice his son Isaac at the command of God. Confronting story. But then the angel of the Lord calls out, Abraham, Abraham, stop. And the angel of the Lord then says this to him. By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord. God himself swears an oath. By myself, he actually appeals to the truthfulness of his own character. By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord. Because you've done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Because do you remember, God had made this promise to Abraham, this promise that, hey, I know that you and your wife still don't have a son that your wife, Sarai, she's barren. She's never going to give birth. But I promise, I'm actually going to make a great nation out of you and I'm going to bless you. And through you, every nation on earth is going to be blessed. And Sarah laughs. There's no way. And then the son, Isaac, he comes and God says to sacrifice him. Goodness gracious. Abraham takes him at his word. And then in response, God says, hey, I swear an oath to you. Just as I did back there in chapter 12, I swear an oath to you now that I will, in fact, grow a great nation from you. And is that what happened? If you've been reading through the church Bible reading plan, you know, yes, that is exactly what's happened. Come to Exodus. They're a huge nation under the thumb of Pharaoh. and The story keeps going. In fact, that old covenant made to Abraham, that old promise becomes in the course of time a new covenant made to us in Christ. A covenant in which um, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, actually comes from this line of Abraham. This is what the Gospel of Matthew makes very clear. Chapter 1. Let us start with, with David. Let us start with Abraham. Let's actually go through and show how the Christ comes from this line. Because God backs his word. He speaks truth and he follows it through. And so then when you have the son, Jesus Christ, come, uh, you hear him say things like this about himself. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And he says, uh, well, actually, John says, he's the one who comes from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's oath to us that he swears by the truth of his very own character, is that we will be saved by faith in his son, Jesus Christ, who came full of grace and truth, full of truth, and yet died a sinner's death on the cross. The death of a deceiver. The death that actually we deserve to face. The judgment of God for all of our deception and selfishness and self-justification. Jesus died that death on the cross for us. He died as though he was the selfish, deceiving one. And then rose again from the dead. 
to prove that our sin has been completely dealt with if we have faith in this God of truth. So how do we put all this into practice? Well, it starts by realising who this God is and realising in truth what he has done for us in Christ. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Christ Jesus. That is why through him we utter our amen to, the glo- to God for his glory, 2 Corinthians 1.20. That's the big thing to get. God is a God of truth. He always keeps his word. It's why we're saved. It's why we're disciples of Jesus at all. But also, if we're saved, he gives us the Holy Spirit. Isn't that true? Who Jesus calls the spirit of truth changing us from the inside out, changing our very heart and our desires and our intentions such that we might desire the things that Christ desires for us, to be people of honesty, people of commitment to our word, faithfulness to what we say. In fact, it doesn't start with our work, it starts with God's work, right? Emanating from his character, resulting in him saving us and then continuing in him growing us through the spirit of truth. So that's the first thing, realise who God is. Here's the second thing, and this is just really quick. Read the scriptures. Read the scriptures. Read them over and over and over. You might say, well, I've read Genesis. Read it again. I've read Exodus. I know the story. Read it again. Why? Because then we remind ourselves of who this God is over and over and over. The God of truth. We come face to face with him. And in a world that constantly redefines truth, we need a rock on which to stand. And with a heart that is constantly pulling this way and that towards selfishness and self-justification, we need a rock on which to stand. And that rock is the God of truth. We only encounter him by reading the scriptures again and again. So if you're on board with the church Bible reading plan, keep going with us. If you're not on board, climb in with us this week. doesn't matter. We're like 10 chapters through Exodus. doesn't matter. Just join in. Catch up the rest when we come back around to it in two years' time. No problem. No, seriously, that's how we've designed it. And if you're not with a church Bible reading plan, but you are reading the scriptures, great, keep going, be encouraged in that. Keep systematically going through the Old and New Testaments, encountering who this God is. Realise who God is. Read the scriptures and then finally repent. Now, repent just means chuck a U-turn, right? Chuck a U-turn from the deceptive heart that we all have. It means first coming to confess to God how we handle our words. And there might be, as we've been talking through all this, something that's particularly on your mind. It might be a particular uh, lie that you've been upholding. It may be even a, a stack of lies, one upon the other, because that's sometimes the way that it goes. It might be um, something that you've promised that you'll do for someone that you know you haven't followed through yet. Bring those things to the Lord. Ask his forgiveness. See it for the sin and the selfishness that it is. Our words are not a light thing to handle. And then realize the forgiveness of Christ, the forgiveness that our Father loves to give. And then go and tell the person, right? We need to confess our sin to one another. If you've wronged someone in this way, maybe now is the time to go and say sorry. Maybe now is the time to go and give back to them what you've owed. Maybe now is the time to follow through on what you'd promised. So repent and keep repenting. Right? This is actually a daily decision. And so my prayer for you as we pray now uh, will be for both you and myself uh, that you would wake up each morning 
remembering this God of truth who saved you and that you would call out to him and ask, Lord, help me today to have my yes be yes and my no be no in every interaction that I have. Help me repent moment by moment, as it were, when I'm tempted to lie. When I'm feeling the, the embarrassment well up because oh, I don't want this person to see the truth of who I am. Help me to be a person of integrity, Lord. Change my heart from the inside out. When I'm tempted to, to go back on my word because the cost will be too great, Lord, again, help me to repent and be a person of truth. Because this is the calling of Jesus, the one who has saved us in truth and is growing us in truth and now calls us to live lives of truth. Let's pray in the name of Jesus together to our Lord. Oh, dear Lord, we do reflect on the, the reality that if you were not a God of truth, we would have nothing. We would be doomed. So, Lord, instead, we ask that you would help us to see you for who you truly are, the God of complete truth. Help us, therefore, to grow in the truth as people saved by truth. Lord, I pray that that would be in the big things as well as the little things, our big assurances and promises, as well as our small words that we speak day by day. Lord, help us to grow. And we pray that as we do, uh, we would in fact become known as a church of truth, a people who are uh, even radically, but not rudely, honest with one another. And that that would be a great sign to the world of who you are and that you are a God who is always dependable, always faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.